This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Friday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life. Uh, This is a program, as you know, dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever is on your heart. All you have to do is to provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, appreciate you tuning in today. We made it to the end of another week and to the end of another month. This is our last March program. And believe it or not, tomorrow when we wake up, it will be April. Uh, This weekend is going to be busy for us. We've got uh, Communion Sunday and Palm Sunday on the same day this Sunday. And um, we always like the the Palm Sunday message, or at least I do. I have to give it once a year, every year. So um, we'd love to have you join us. Um, We'd love to have you join us. Let me get to what some questions, and then we'll wait for your phone calls. My first question is from Raul. On our from our email inbox, um, hi Pastor Ron, have you heard the new proposed law in Israel about people who talk about Jesus and how they can be in prison for one or two years? According to a report by All Israel News, if the new bill that was introduced last week is approved, people who talk about Jesus in Israel would be sent sent to at least one year imprisonment. If the conversation is with a minor, someone under the age of 18, the punishment would be two years imprisonment. The proposed legislation would outlaw all efforts by people of one faith who in any way want to discuss or try to persuade people of other faiths to consider changing their current religious beliefs. First of all, and this is him, um, um, Raul. Uh, first of all, this is sad. Secondly, we have mega churches like Cornerstone who support Israel and their Jewish customs, uh, U.S. churches that give millions to Israel, uh, for what? To denounce Jesus and be sent to prison for mentioning Jesus. Do you believe churches like Cornerstone should stop supporting Israel? Overall, what are your thoughts about the Jewish religion and what has been going on recently? Well, a couple of things. First and foremost, I, I don't think we ought to be all up in arms about proposed bills. 
You know, there's all kinds of nuts and proposed bills, not only in other countries, but in our country as well. Bills that never come to fruition. And and this is likely going to be one of those. One of the things that we have to remember here practically is that Christians provide enormous amounts of money in simply the tourism industry in Israel. And uh, the the Israeli legislators are going to be very, very slow to respond to something like this because they don't want to cut off the cash flow that Christians represent in the tourism industry. So I don't think this is something that we ought to be um, shaken up about at this point. I also think it's not something that we ought to be surprised by. Jesus said to us, Raul, that um, people will hate you because they hated me. People insult you. They insulted me. And, of course, we know that's going to be the case. And that's worldwide. Um, People who stand with and for Jesus Christ are going to be persecuted in, in ways like this. So I don't think it's something that we ought to be up in arms about. Um, down the road, if something like this ever comes to fruition, all it means is it's signs that Jesus' return for his church is coming near. There's simply no value in arguing about this or getting angry about this. This is just something that um, um, finances are going to determine uh, can't be done because this would affect um, the tourism industry. You know, I've got a lot of Calvary Chapel pastor friends who take two and three different tours over there. And and I can promise you, the people that go on those tours are talking about Jesus Christ. And, you know, we're told to go into the world and share the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever we are. We're to take Jesus with us. So it's just not something that you need to worry about at this point. And if, in fact, there comes a time when Christians are persecuted in this manner for sharing Jesus Christ, then what we're going to have to do is stand and take it. I mean, we've got some of the epistles that the Apostle Paul wrote in our Bible from prison. And he wasn't worried about his rights. He was worried about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing, in fact, that he was in trouble for sharing that gospel and likely to get in even more trouble. I think we just got to understand. I mean, we Christians have got to be tougher than we are. This is what Jesus said would happen in the last days. It's what the Apostle Paul would said would happen in the last days. Now, I can tell you something that I think ought to stop. I think churches like uh, Cornerstone, um, um, they should not, none of us should stop being a blessing to Israel. And if people feel led by the Lord to give uh, a, a significant money in Cornerstone, certainly just Israel, that's between them and the Lord. It's not for you to have an opinion of or me to have an opinion about. What we can have an opinion about is a church like Cornerstone's non-proselytizing approach to Jews and to Israel. To say that Jews don't need Jesus Christ to come to heaven, that is heresy. And, and, and those are the kind of things that we ought to be upset about. Not the fact that they're donating money to, to, to Israel, to Jewish customs. God said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who bless you, or who curse you rather. And the reality there is that there are just a whole bunch of people who think that blessing Israel financially is a means to being blessed themselves. Their motives are between them and the Lord. 
but I don't think we're ready to do it. Yes, my thoughts about the Jewish religion, I'm going to echo the Apostle Paul. Uh, they need to get saved. Jews need to be saved. You do not get saved because you are a Jew. Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And by the way, he said all of that to Jewish audiences. So the Jewish religion, um, they're the vine, where the where the unnatural olive shoots grafted in. Um, we're to love our Jewish brothers and sisters, but the only way we can really love them is to tell them about Jesus Christ. So I hope that helps. Thank you very, very much, Raul, for the question. Let's go to our phone lines and talk with Jim on line one. Jim, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Well, uh, thank you, and I do want to compliment you. I was listening, and I really do respect you are very unemotional, very practical, and you said nothing that I could find fault or disagree with. I thought you were very sober. I was very pleased to hear your answer to Raul. And the reason I called is because I'm very familiar with that law because that law disturbed me too. And I did a <laughs> lot of checking. And that, that law was presented by two, two folks, one a Jew, one a Muslim. And that law has been introduced every time. Uh, the, the Knesset, their Congress, has already said they will not present it for a vote. And uh, Benjamin Netanyahu said it will never be presented as long as he's the prime minister. So your your analysis was a hundred percent correct. And I really, I'm really pleased that your analysis was so level-headed about it. Well, thank you, Jim. Appreciate and, it very, uh, very much. And and one thing, one thing that you said that that is something we need to know is as long as Netanyahu is in a position of authority. Uh, he he gets he he's a huge fundraiser for Israel, and he has said on the record that Christians are the single biggest contributors to the financial situation in Israel's history, and that's always been the case. So, Jim, thank you very very much. I appreciate it. God bless you. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is. An interesting question from Jennifer from our email inbox. Uh, hi, Pastor Ron. I'm not sure if you know this ex-stripper. She was a rapper. <laughs> Paul is at home saying, I'm sure he doesn't know her. She was a rapper, had a couple of children with two celebrity guys, did pornography photos, someone who gave herself to the devil. She even had a demonic tattoo. Her stage name was Black China. And by the way, I'm familiar with Black China. She's been famous for a long time. Um, however, her government name is Angela White. I don't know what that means. She has been in the news recently because she was baptized and gave her life to Jesus. She took out her implants, butt, breast, and face, very long fake nails and hair, covered a demonic tattoo, stopped soliciting pornographic photos and photos and videos, went on an apology campaign for the people who she upset. Do you believe those are the actions of a saved person? You see a lot of celebrities, athletes, and entertainers who say they gave up their lives to Jesus but still do worldly things they were doing before. The Bible talks about giving up everything to be saved, but how is that viewed in a practical way? Jennifer, uh, I, I am familiar with uh, Black China. She's, again, I said she's been um, in the public eye for quite some time. And if, in fact, and I, I don't know this story, but if, in fact, she has done those things, I would say that's exactly what a saved person does. 
You know, when people get in real trouble, when they find themselves uh, completely destitute or, or, or uh, their lives have been a mess, they say all kinds of things. But what demonstrates um, whether or not they're genuine is what they do relative to their old life. I have said, in fact, I've been saying this in recent Bible studies, that, that when you meet Jesus Christ, when God reveals himself to you, it changes you. And uh, this is exactly what I would expect from somebody uh, who who really met Jesus. Um, I don't think it's necessary to take out her implants. That's not my business. But, um, you know, the idea that uh, I'm going to stop living the way I was living and start living a life that is um, obviously a life committed to Jesus Christ is exactly what Christians should do. A couple of things that we ought to remember here. One, we shouldn't have really, really huge expectations of people that are brand new believers. I don't know about you, Jennifer. When I got saved, my life was a disaster. And while my change, the transformation after meeting Jesus was a radical one, there were still a lot of things I didn't know. Um, I didn't have the faith to deal with. I was afraid to deal with. Uh, I still dealt with pride, and I still dealt with, with well, how am I going to respond to this? You know, I, I used to do respond this way kind of things. But Jesus changes you, and it appears this woman, uh, Black China, uh, it appears that, that she has cast her lot in with the Lord, and she's demonstrating uh, once and for all that, that, yeah, this is real for me, and I don't care what it costs me. And I think those are precisely the actions of somebody who has saved somebody who meets Jesus Christ. And the fact that we see celebrities, we see athletes, we see people thrown in jail, politicians, and they get, um, you know, religion or they find Jesus or they have an experience. Um, you know, what? We, we don't need to have a judgment on those kind of things. It's not our responsibility to judge their hearts. We look at the fruit that comes in their life and we either praise God for them or we pray for them. But to have an opinion um, on stuff like this, this is between this woman and Jesus Christ and it sounds to me like that's what she's doing. And, and you'll know in the long term by their fruit. God knows the truth. Galatians says God uh, will not be mocked. He knows those who are his, and, and we need to be praying that this young woman, especially if she was um, um, worshiping the devil or any way demonically influenced, uh, the devil's not going to let go of her easily. He's going to put up a fight, and we need to pray for her if that's the case. And what a trophy somebody like this would be for Jesus Christ. You know, we have a tendency to think that that. Um, people that are public like she is, uh, they're they're sort of worse off than the rest of us. They're not. I told you a minute ago, my life was a mess when I got saved. I was a coward. I was running away from home. And Jesus grabbed me. And because he grabbed me, um, uh, the one thing we need to, to, to take to heart is that he, on his own initiative, chased me down. And when I met him, Everything in my life changed in an instant. The, the way I spoke changed. Everything changed. And that, um, Jennifer, is is what we should be thanking the Lord for, praising the Lord for as a result. Pray for, so pray for this girl. Um, 
when the Bible talks about giving up everything, not to be saved. Uh, but once we meet Jesus, all we have to do to get saved is believe. And then his wonderful grace meets us, and then he begins the process. Again, this is his initiative. He begins the process of changing us. That's what the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Rome. Therefore, brothers, I urge you, based on what God has done, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. And when we see people doing this, Jennifer, then that's something that we ought to praise the Lord about. So I love the fact that there's nobody, um, even a woman who is, as you described, um, demonic tattoos and uh, pornography and all that other stuff, uh, the fact that God can rescue her, man, that's just wonderfully encouraging. And I especially love the fact that um, she's not as bad as the Apostle Paul. <laughs> Paul said he was the chief of all sinners. By the way, I'm going to be starting a brand new book tonight, Galatians, and we're going to talk a lot about grace. We're going to talk a lot about man's perverting that grace. And um, Galatians is a wonderful book for those of us who are believers. Let's go to our friend Reuben from Seguin Online. One, Reuben, good to hear from you. How are you doing? Oh, I am blessed, sir, and I am so blessed and just can't get enough of God. I just can't get enough. Um, reading through the Word of God, reading through the Scriptures, and asking God to to just show me what He wants to, to teach me, rather, what He wants me. I just, like, want to gobble up everything. <laughs> Good for I mean, you. I'm telling you, if everybody's out there doesn't read the Bible, you need to read it. Because once you read it, the Holy Spirit is just going to, I mean, if, like me, I just want to gobble it up. But any, I digress. <laughs> that's I need to that's go okay. Reuben, Ru- let, let me have fun with you for a moment. Think, think <laughs> back 10 years ago when I kept telling you to read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. <laughs> and you were so emotionally, and, and you just said, well, well, I will, but you didn't. Well, look at you now. No, no. I kept on to know, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to. But you know what? Once I gave in, look at, I mean, come on, you're right. Look at me now. <laughs> even though even though I'm still going through trouble and I have physical, really, really bad physical problems, I just thank God because I could see that peace that surpasses all understanding and finally understand it. And as long as I read the Bible, like your intro says, fall, uh, uh, fall in love with the Bible. Well, what does it say? Fall in love the Bible, you will fall in love with Jesus, we promise. There you go. And I have, and I have. Uh, Speaking of Jesus, uh, I was reading John today, and um, I think it's in four or three, where Jesus is at the well. He goes to Jacob's well, Mm -hmm. and the Samaritan woman comes and walks up to him. And one thing I'd never noticed before, uh, the Samaritan woman tells him, you know, you don't have a bucket, and here we are at at my, my father's well. Jacob, uh, who gave it to us, is this Jacob, Abraham's son? Yeah, well, it's 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 Abraham's grandson, but but grandson. yes, it's that's that's Jacob's well. Okay, so, um, I thought Abraham was a Jew, and well, I thought a- Jacob was a Jew. He 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 was. Uh, now remember Abraham. Uh, was not Jewish, 
Um, he he was from the Chaldees, or but Chaldeans. That's yeah, right. But he was the that's first right. Jew. He was the first one given the covenant of circumcision by God. The first person that was a Jew converted by that experience with God. Okay, so then down the lineage, it changed from Jewish to Samaritan, or are they? Well, well, no, Samaritans were Jews, but remember, by the time Jesus was in Samaria, uh, in, in John chapter 4, um, the Samaritans were a result of the Assyrian invasion and captivity of the northern gotcha. ten tribes. And uh, that they intermarried, that the Assyrians intermarried and, and bred with Jews. And that's why the Jews in Israel hated Samaritans. They considered them half-breeds, less than, less than human, really. So uh, Samaritans hated Jews, and Jews hated Samaritans. But make no mistake, this was in Israel. It was just in the land of the 12 northern tribes. Gotcha. That, I just wanted to know, like, why did... But now I understand. And okay. I'm going to continue to read, John. Uh, quick question, I'll let you go. After John, do you have a book for me to that you will recommend for me to go to? Because I've read Romans about twenty times already, and I love it. And I'm going to go back to it. Good. But what direction should I go after John? Just Ephesians. Just your personal thought. Ephesians. Ephesians. Okay. Okay. Wonderful book, Divine Design. First three chapters are what God has done for us. And the second three chapters are about how we should respond. So not only is it glorious, but it is practical in terms of the application. It is a treasure, Reuben. And I'd be, I'll okay. be thrilled to see what the Lord does in your heart with that. I will let you know. Okay. God bless you. Okay. Thank God you so you. much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. We got just under five minutes left in this half of the program. You know, one of the real treasures, one of the real blessings in my life of doing a show like this is is having been able to watch people like Ruben, um, who uh, when he started calling this show um, ten years ago, uh, he's he's been calling. Uh, almost as long as we've been on the air. I uh, called himself Anthony back then. He didn't want people to recognize him. Uh, and now he's proud of his gospel. He's proud of his relationship with Jesus Christ. And he has grown so much. And this is a man who has all kinds of issues. And I say physical issues. Um, his life has been really, really hard. The people around him have physical issues. So there's just nothing easy about his life. And when he calls on a, on a day like this and you can hear the joy in his voice, that's the grace of God given every day. And it's just been wonderful to watch that. So, Reuben, God bless you, my friend. Um, here's an anonymous question. I know I'm supposed to submit to my husband, but what about when I think he's wrong? Um, you know, the, the only time that you're given a break, Anonymous, about submitting to your husband is if he asks you to do something that's ungodly, something that, that, that is counterintuitive or even contra, in contradistinction to the Word of God. Um, but the idea here is it takes great faith to submit. Remember when Jesus um, was sort of scolding his disciples. The Roman centurion said, I'm a man under authority. And he, what are you saying? I recognize authority. You just say the word and I'm going to do it. And Jesus looked at his disciples and said, I've not seen such great faith in all of Israel. I lead with that because what you need to do is submit to your husband's leadership. 
because you trust God, not because you trust your husband. You know, Paul and I talked about this a little bit on the program yesterday, but um, we're, we're a partnership. And I'm sure that there are things that Paula listens to me or submits to my authority on that she doesn't necessarily think is the right thing or agree with, but she trusts the Lord. And so, um, you know, when you think he's wrong, then, then what I would suggest you do is just say, you know what, the Bible says that I'm to submit to you as unto the Lord, and I'm going to do that just for me, please. Would you consider first my opinion, what I'm saying to you, and secondly, make sure that the decisions that you make are bathed in prayer, bathed in prayer so that I know, and the Word, so that I know that you're hearing from from the voice of God. And if I were counseling him anonymous, I would say make sure that the decisions you make are not only bathed in prayer and focused on the Word of God, but make sure that you take your wife's partnership into consideration because there's a whole bunch of times when the Holy Spirit is going to sound just like your wife. Paula gives me such great counsel, and we talk about things. And when we talk about things, it's a partnership. And, um, you know, we're, we're also to submit one to another out of reverence or fear of God. And, and that's what real partnership is all about. So when you think he's wrong, then you pray for him. As long as he's not asking you to do something that is ungodly, something that contradicts the word of God, then don't worry about being right. I say this all the time. If your heart is right, you don't have to be right. God will cover you. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the week. 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand up for life. I'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Friday show, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is an anonymous question from our email inbox, sort of dovetails on the question that we just had. Uh, This is a woman who writes, My husband complains so much about everything and constantly wants to fix everyone. It's exhausting to live with a man like this. He claims to be saved and is involved in church in many ways. Please help me to understand how to not respond to his behavior. It bothers me how he constantly complains toward everyone, including me. I know I can't change him, so how can I change my response to be better on my end? Let me take this opportunity, before I answer your question directly, to speak to men out there. Men, we got to stop being jerks. It's, it's just that simple. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Never on that list is complaining and grumbling or, or, or judging. And it's really what, when you're trying to fix people or complaining about people, you're judging their hearts. And we're told to do just the opposite. 
Don't be a miserable man because when you are a miserable man, as the head of the household spiritually, you're making everybody around you miserable. So it's very important that we understand this. Galatians chapter 5, begin reading in verse 22. If those things do not describe your life, the characteristics of your life, then you need to repent, men. You need to repent. Why is it that we have to have strong opinions? Why is it that we can't look at our own heart? Very important. Now, let me answer your question. It is exhausting to live a man like this, to live with a man like this. I know that because before I got saved, I was a man like that. Um, my human nature, I'm a, I can fix things. I know the answers. It's always been that way. So it, it just, you know, before Christ, it made me feel like I was superior to other people. And, and uh, you know, I just figured that was my calling in life. It's just sharing misery and we're exhausting the people around us. Now, as it relates to your husband, um, if he claims to be saved, talk to him about this. Uh, I can... I can promise you that you're not sitting down with your husband. You're not reading the Bible together. Uh, If you were reading the Bible with your husband, if you were praying together, uh, the Holy Spirit would bring these things out. And you could talk about them in a constructive way. But since he is miserable and he's involved in church in a lot of ways, this is probably something that you ought to suggest to him to go get counseling. Go to your pastor and talk to him about these things. And if he doesn't want to do it, then you suggest, how about we go together? Because you're exhausting me. You think you're better than everybody else. You want to fix everybody else's problems. Jesus talked about a, a beam and a, and a speck, and you're looking for specks in other people's eyes with a beam in your eye, a log. So um, just ask him, as, as a Christian and as somebody who's involved in church, Ask him to prayerfully consider. Now, even if he says, no, I don't need counseling. Don't anybody need to know my business? Even if he says that, you can plant the seed. Just prayerfully consider it. You're supposed to be Jesus' representative in this home, and you're just making me miserable. You're wearing me out. And do it in love. Don't do it in anger. Don't have an agenda. Just simply bring it up. But husbands and wives have to be able to talk about these things. You know, one of the things that that I've asked Paula to do in my life is make sure that I never embarrass her or Jesus. And if she would come to me and say, you know, when you said that or when you're thinking like that, that's wrong. I would treasure that. That demonstrates how much she loves me. So please, please talk to him about these things. Do it in love. You're invested in this marriage. God hates divorce. That's not going to be an option. So the thing to do is to deal with the issue, but to leave the issue unresolved is going to simply give Satan more opportunities to come in and mess with both of you. Now, let me put the onus on you. You asked how to understand how not to respond to his behavior. I would simply tell him, and I would be very nice. This would be in a very normal tone of voice. I would simply say to him, when you're behaving like this, I'm simply going to remove myself from the discussion. I don't want to hear it because you're causing me to stumble. You're causing me to get angry at you. You're, you're 
talking about people like you're judge and jury. And, and I'm simply not going to engage you in that. So understand, I'm not angry with you. I'm not being rebellious against you. It's just I'm protecting my own relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I'm not going to respond to your behavior. I'm not going to say anything at all. And, and unless you get help, that means there's going to be a lot of silence in our marriage. And that's certainly not healthy. You're right, you cannot change him. But you don't have the right, and this is for you and for every other Christian in the world, we don't have the right to sin because somebody is sinning against us. We don't have the right to respond um, um, and, and, and get in our flesh because somebody else is in their flesh. So when, when your flesh is being provoked, Take a walk with Jesus. Go sit down and open your Bible and read it. Don't give the devil the opportunity. Um, get rid of your anger. Get rid, Paul says, of those kinds of thoughts and actions. And, and simply remember, say, Jesus, just because he's making me angry, just because he's trying to provoke me, that does not give me the right to sin against you. And if you'll understand that, then you begin to know how to fight the temptation. I'm sorry that you're going through this. Again, men, do not be miserable, men. Don't force your opinions on other people. You don't even have to have opinions about other people. Your walk is with you and Jesus. And I can promise you that there's no power of the Holy Spirit as long as you're grumbling and complaining. When Paul writes to get rid of all such things as these, grumbling and complaining is in that list. So you got to get rid of those things. And it, it, it diminishes the power in your life. It negates um, the witness that God wants to, 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 to have through you. Um, we simply need to walk in the Spirit instead of the flesh. Now, I told you Galatians chapter 5, this is for everybody, not just our, our, our uh, writer here. Um, if you go back to verse 19 in Galatians 5, that shows you the kind of behavior that is really ugly fruit of the flesh. And I think if you read those two passages and you're honest enough to say, okay, Holy Spirit, show me which one of those best describes the bulk of my life. And that gives you an opportunity to really repent and then the power of the Holy Spirit can come in to change you. So you don't have to respond in the flesh. Never respond in the flesh to somebody else's flesh. We do not have the right to do that. Let's go to JT on line one from San Antonio. JT, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, JT. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm your JT, by the way. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to ask... um, when the Bible talks about that we're going to get new bodies, like, mm-hmm. are we talking about physical bodies, or uh, is it something else, or is that metaphorically speaking? You know, because no. um, I'm just wondering, am I going to get a brand new body? Because I sure would like one. Yeah. You and me <laughs> both, JT. And believe me, we're going to get brand new physical bodies. That's as literal as it can be. The Apostle John says, uh, what we will be, we do not yet know, but we do know this. We will be like he. 
is. Our bodies will be like, our lowly bodies will be like his glorious physical resurrected body. If you think about Jesus after the resurrection, uh, he ate, he drank, he talked with people, he walked through walls. He, he didn't have any kind of constraints. He could be in one place and then in an instant be in another one. So that's the kind of, of new bodies we're going to have, JT. And since you're my JT, I know your body, JT. So we've got something wonderful to look forward to, you and I, in the, in the future when we have a physical body just like Jesus's. Thanks, JT. Good to hear from you. Here is a question that was called in just now to the studio by Mark. Um, can I have thoughts, uh, your thoughts on all the news on aliens? Do you think this is the devil preparing for something? Um, Mark, the, the devil is going to use anything and everything that he can. Um, aliens don't exist. Uh, Jesus told us that he's, we called us friends and his friend tells a friend everything. He doesn't keep any secrets from us. So aliens simply do not exist. And I think the, the emphasis, and this kind of goes in cycles. You know, sometimes the world will be alien crazy and UFO crazy. And, and other times all of that will die down a little bit. But the enemy is going to use that um, um, any way that he can. And one of the one of the ways I think that the 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 enemy and the Antichrist who will be revealed will explain away the rapture of the church is that that that, that uh, they're alien abductions or or those are the people that weren't fit to go into the new uh, world order um, and and they'll kind of celebrate our going uh, as uh, as sort of a a blessing to the world uh, and yet the the world's going to know. You know, we Christians are noisy. We're gonna. We've told a lot of people about the rapture of the church, and so the the witness that we leave behind is going to emphasize that. So, um, I honestly, Mark, I don't listen to anything about aliens any more than I would listen to somebody say the Earth is millions of years old or that there were knuckle dragging um, Neanderthals. Um, before Adam and Eve. None of that matters to me. There's just zero credibility, and that's exactly the same thing uh, that we're talking about here. Let's go to our friend Cindy on line one from San Antonio. Cindy, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. How are you? I um, I, I had an accident last a week ago Thursday. I tripped on my porch step and I was, I was just being clumsy, and I slammed down on my knee, and then my face hit the next little step that goes up Ooh. into the door. And so my eye was all swollen and black. I had to go to the ER, and they said I was okay. You know, they said I didn't have any brain damage or fracture or anything. But my point is is that my my eye was was just all black and swollen. And if you were to take a picture of that area, you wouldn't know that that was a, a face with an eye in it. It was so oh bad. My. I, I know, it, it, but God God protected me. It could have been a whole lot worse. So I'm really grateful for, for how how much be, better it is. Than be it more careful been. and take better care of yourself. I, I just, I, I know. Well, the ground is, is kind of is sinking under where that step is, and I just miss mm. it judged but what that got me to thinking about was about jesus and and how how beaten up he was and how his face was not recognizable and then i got kind of kind of squeamish in the way of wondering that is he going to look like he did when he died on the cross when we see him because 
if he looked as bad, you know, as bad as what I looked like, even worse, I, I think I'd have a hard time seeing him. And then I wondered, I knew that his hands would still have the, the hole marks from being crucified, but I wondered, would his face kind of heal up a little bit and, and get a little bit better? So that was kind of my question, because we're because I knew that when we go to heaven, we have new bodies, and if we're going to be like him and we're resurrected in our new bodies... It made me wonder if he would have healed up a little bit. So that was kind of what I've been thinking about since um, since last week. So I thought I'd call in, and I'm a lot better now. It, it's it's a whole bunch better now. Good. Thank um, you for letting us know. I wish we'd have known earlier so we could have been praying for you, Cindy. I'll do the best I can to answer the question. Unfortunately, we don't know the answer to that. We know in the book of Revelation that John sees him as a lamb that had been slain. Um, that seems to indicate that he's going to have the bruises, the marks, the the the, the spear uh, in his side, the the hands and feet with the um, nail marks in them. Um, we don't know, honestly, Cindy, any more than that. Now, it, it would seem to me, and this is just a deduction from reading the scriptures, it would seem to me that uh, his face uh, was not... Uh, beaten so badly that it was grotesque or anything. Um, he's still going to bear the wounds, but when his disciples saw him, um, nobody, um, nobody said, "Oh, your face." Nobody was was put off by his appearance. Uh, when he approached Thomas, he didn't say, "Touch my face, Thomas." Uh, it's me. He said, uh, feel the scars in my hands and feel the scar in my side. Uh, that's exactly what Thomas said. Unless I feel them, I won't believe it. Um, so it, it would seem to me, and again, these are just deductions. It would seem to me that his face was not grotesquely disfigured uh, after the resurrection. Um, it, it seems as though um, the scars, the, the nail-pierced hands and feet, uh, are still obvious, but other than that, probably not, but it could be so. So we don't really know. Here's what I can tell you for sure, Cindy, that no matter how badly beaten he is, when we see that face shining like the sun in all of its brilliance, it will be beautiful, maybe grotesquely beautiful, and I know those are contradictory terms, but it will be beautiful. And it will forever be uh, an illustration of just how much God really and truly loves us. Good question, Cindy, and thanks for letting us know, and I'm glad that you're getting better. 340-9585, here's a question from Andy. Andy says to me personally, what do you do when you get depressed? Um, Andrew, I don't get depressed. I mean, I really don't. I, I, you know, I get sad. My heart breaks, but but that's certainly not depression. Those are normal human emotions. And when I'm uh, sad or when my heart is broken, uh, then I take uh, the Apostle Paul's advice and I, I, I think about things that are true and beautiful and noble and, and pure uh, Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Um, but but those are normal human emotions. Now, depression is something that's different. I, I, I Honestly, I don't get depressed. Um, you know, I think a lot of times depression is, is one of the enemy's biggest weapons. 
And I think the reason that we get depressed is because our focus is on the things all around us or the people around us or the circumstances that we're in instead of our focus being on Jesus. Uh, Our Bible, Andy, says that in his presence is the fullness of joy. Uh, It doesn't say you're going to be happy, but it says that that, that unmistakable joy of the Lord is always going to be there and all we have to do is be in his presence. And so I think when people get depressed... I think the 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 reason is that they're closer to depressing things than they are to the Lord. So I'm not trying to diminish depression at all. The enemy will use it. He will push that button over and over, and he will be relentless. He will have no mercy. But you see, when we're feeling depressed, Andy, that's when we need to fight harder. And the problem, of course, with that is that we don't feel like fighting. We don't feel like doing anything. The devil loves a sitting target, a stationary target. So what we do is we simply get closer to Jesus, talk to him, be with him, listen for him, open the word of God. And then that depression doesn't have a chance to really take hold in this uh, at all. So, Andy, I hope that answers your question, but depression is not uh, an issue I deal with. Again, I want everybody to be understand I get really sad. What I do sometimes is really, really hard emotionally. I deal with the pain in people's lives and people that I love immensely um, because they're in pain. I'm in pain when one part of the body grieves or mourns, then the rest of the body grieves or mourns with it. I experience that all the time. So I do get sad and my heart gets broken. I get angry sometimes. I hope it's righteous anger. And I'm, uh, I'm sure it isn't always. But but uh, to, to see people that that won't turn to Jesus when Jesus has the answers, those are really, really difficult things for us. But we've got to remember to keep our focus on him and not on the things that are causing us the depression. So, Andy, I hope that helps a little bit. Uh, The one thing I can tell you, if you are suffering from depression, uh, the one thing I can tell you is to get up, get out of bed, take a shower, put on some clothes, open your Bible, go find somebody else to minister to. Don't wait for somebody to minister to you. Jesus will do that himself. But go find somebody else to minister to. And you're going to find that in the in the power of the Holy Spirit, as you are obedient, um, your depression is going to lift because God is going to use you to be a blessing to other people. So that's really, really important um, counsel, I think, for you. Here's a question from Ted. Just got a five-minute warning. Ted says, I heard a pastor say Paul was married and widowed. Is that so? Um, Ted, it's almost certain. Now, the Bible doesn't speak about Paul's wife nor any children that he might have. But it is almost certain that he was married. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. That's the 70 leaders of Israel, uh, the religious leaders. And one of the requirements of being a member of the Sanhedrin was that you had to be married. It is also probable that he had children. And when I say that, it's, 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 uh, it was the desire of every Jewish man and woman to have kids. And so it's likely that, that Saul of Tarsus was a man who was married and had children. And, and that would lead us to an uncomfortable conclusion. The conclusion is that 
either his wife and children died, we don't think that's the case, or that because of his conversion to Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, um, he lost his family. He made a choice. Um, He chose Jesus over his wife and his children. And it means like so many of the other Jewish believers at at the beginning of the church age, um, conversion cost him everything. So um, those are things that we speculate about, but we don't have any real biblical inspired information to give us any details. But but almost certainly he was married and uh, his wife would probably have just left him, uh, considered him dead uh, when when he met Jesus Christ. He said the one thing they hear is that the man who formerly persecuted Christ was now sharing Christ with everybody everywhere. When it would have been a source of great embarrassment and pain to his family. And, and it's interesting that if uh, the man who is responsible for more souls than anybody that's ever lived, um, he could escape the trapping of Judaism, but but his wife could not. So that's the best we can do, Ted. Um, is is just look at the at the uh, the facts and the circumstances, and uh, and kind of stay there. Uh, by the way, Ted, if you are really interested in the Apostle Paul, I like recommending this book. It's called uh, Paul, the Heart of the Apostle Set Free by F.F. F. Bruce. It is a wonderful book, and I think it is the uh, the standard uh, for uh, works on the life of the Apostle Paul. I read it very, very early in my walk with the Lord and, and became fascinated with the Apostle Paul and, and just, just love that book with all my heart. Uh, Mary says, uh, why will God destroy heaven and earth and create a new heaven and earth? Uh, Mary, the answer is that we don't know. Um, after the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, there will be a new heaven and new earth. And, and all I can guess is that the reason that the new earth is going to be changed is because the old one has been so corrupted by sin that it will no longer serve God's purpose. Peter says it's going to going to wax away, like from the inside, sort of implode, and uh, and then uh, Jesus will create a new earth um, and, and new heavens. Now, the thing that's most perplexing to me, I can look around at this earth and 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 see exactly why we need a new earth, but I don't know why we need a new heavens. I don't know. You know, when we talk about new heavens. Um, and I think that's what what it really means. Not not literally new heaven, the the abode of God. Um, you know, we've got meteorites and all kinds of things floating around in there, crashing together. And I think what God is going to do is He's going to clean it all up and make it perfect. You know, we send our kids sometimes on field trips. We show them things, and their faces get lit up because they, oh, that's awesome kind of thing, the museums and things. I think we're all going to go on a field trip with Jesus when we go to be with him, and he's going to show us the way it was always intended to be. He's going to show us how he made everything and how he holds everything together. Wonderful, wonderful thing. Hey, uh, tonight I'm going to be starting a new book, Galatians chapter 1. I'm going to do the first seven verses is all. 
uh, in our introduction to Galatians. One other comment, you can just kind of put it on your calendar. A week from tonight is Good Friday. We're going to have two services at 5 o'clock and 7 o'clock. Two Good Friday night services. Hope to see you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll see you Monday. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The word to stand on for life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.